So now please turn in your Bible with me to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians chapter 3. You'll remember the, the outline of Ephesians, where we've been. That in chapter 1 we saw this, this prayer, this exaltation in the Lord and his sovereign plan, prayer for believers. And then in chapter 2, all the way through verse 10, we saw a reminder of the gospel, that who we were before Christ saved us, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we have been made alive together with Christ. And then starting in verse 11, Paul is talking about implications of the gospel for the church. He He's talking about how we are now one body in Christ, that Jew and Gentile have been brought together in the Lord. And today we're still in that section. We're we're still thinking about the unity that we have in the church through Christ. And today there's a lot of the, this text has a, some speculation about Paul's logic because we're, as we start in verse one of chapter three, Paul seems to start to launch into a thought and then he interrupts himself and goes into another thought. And you'll see in the ESV translation, they have a dash there that shows that that break in in the logic and in the grammar of the text. And what basically all of the scholars think is that Paul is, he, he begins a thought, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, that that is introducing what then comes in verse 14, uh, where he says, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. He launches again into this, this prayer for the believers. But he, he begins, and then he interrupts himself with this digression through verse 13, that he picks up again. And it shows partly the the literary beauty of Scripture. Um, Because if Paul had given a complete sentence at the beginning, he wouldn't have tied those two sections together. But but he wants us to see this as a a digression in a sense, but it's all leading to this place of, of prayer to the Lord. So again, I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 1 to 7. And so we're going to break this digression of Paul into a few sermons, but it's helpful to remember the big picture of his logic. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, 
I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we we thank you for the, the mystery that has been made known, the mystery of Christ. We know without your spirit, we cannot understand the mystery. We can't know the mystery. So, Father, we pray for the guidance of your spirit today in our hearts and our minds to understand the mystery, to apply the mystery, and to live our lives out of the mystery. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, often as humans in general, we love mysteries that are unknown more than we like mysteries that have been made known. We love mysteries more than answers quite often. An example of that, I think, is the TV show Lost. Uh, Back in the day, I don't know how many of you watched that show, And I know that when I was in college, people were very into the show Lost. And part of what they liked was all of the mystery. How did they get on the island? Why did the plane crash? What are they doing here? Is there something special about the island? But then I remember that as they started to reveal the mysteries, people lost interest in the show. And eventually... Most of the people I know who loved it at the beginning ended up hating the show uh, because there's just something that wasn't very satisfying about the revelation of the mystery. It was a lot better when you could be in the the speculation, the curiosity. And it's often that way for, for fiction, for movies, for TV shows. We like the mystery. But I think sometimes that's how we think about spiritual matters as well that we love spiritual mysteries. We, we love mysticism, something that is, that is unknown, that, that there, we, we wonder what the answer actually is. And sometimes people think that everything about spiritual reality is mystery. And that would be what you could think of as agnosticism, to say that, well, if there is a God or there is some sort of spiritual reality, We don't know what that is. It's a mystery. It's unknowable. It's unattainable. So we're going to leave it in the realm of mystery and hope for the best. And if you take that view, then even the the plan of God is a mystery. The plan of salvation is a mystery because if you can't know God, then you certainly can't know his plan of salvation or his work of redemption. And so we leave it in, in mystery. But what we see in this text today is that there there is a mystery, but the mystery has been made known so that we can have hope, so that we can offer hope to others. It's about the revelation of a mystery. And we see here that this mystery revealed is far better than the mystery hidden, the mystery concealed. 
That the, the, when we unfurl the mystery of Christ, we see something beautiful, something that changes our life, something that is exceptional, that we need the mystery. We're not left in agnosticism. We're not left in uncertainty, but we have the revelation of the mystery. So that's what we're going to explore today with the, the mystery. We're going to ask three questions. What is the mystery? How was the mystery made known? And then why was the mystery made known? And so the first question is this, what is the mystery? Because if you look in your Bible, the word mystery appeals, appears several times. In Greek, it's the word mysterion. So very close to the, the English word. In verse three, he talks about the mystery that was made known. Verse 4, he talks about the, the mystery of Christ. But then, thankfully, the, the answer to what is the mystery is not a mystery in this text. Because look at verse 6. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. And so in a way, you could say that the mystery of Christ here in this text is what Paul has been talking about all the way since verse 11 back in chapter 2. The mystery is that though once we were far off, we were strangers, we were aliens as Gentiles, that, that we have been brought near by the blood of Christ, that we are now one body, one new humanity in Christ, and, and that now it's no longer a covenant community that's only about ethnic Israel, but it's a multiracial, multicultural covenant community. Every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered to the throne of God in worship. That is the mystery that has been made known. And in a way that is, is very different than what we would think of as a mystery. It's not the mystery that, that we think of as the Bermuda Triangle or some inscription on an ancient ruin in the jungle. It's not that kind of a mystery, but it's, it's the mystery about what Christ does through the gospel in the world. It's about something that has been made known. And I think that's significant as we think about the Christian message, that especially false teachers throughout history, have tried to always peddle a, a mystery, something that's hidden. Here's some new hidden secret, some mystery that I'm going to let you into the mystery. That was Gnosticism back in the early church. They said, here's the mystery. Here's this secret knowledge. And, and if you come hang out with us, we'll, we'll share the secret with you of this mystery. Or even today, a lot of new age thinking is about mystery and what is secret and unknown. But what Paul is saying here is that, no, the, the mystery is it's not a secret anymore, that it, the, the, the mystery has been made known. It's, it's laid bare before us. And so that, that should shape the way that we think about Christianity, that it's about an open, known proclamation of the truth of the gospel that is before us. So that's the first question then. What is the mystery? But then here's the second question. How was the mystery made known? 
How is it made known? And look in your, your Bible <coughs> at verse 3. And Paul says that the mystery was made known to me by revelation. So you say, how was it made known? It was made known by revelation. But within these verses, Paul tells us quite a bit about this revelation of the mystery. And he shows us that this, this mystery was revealed, it was revealed progressively over time. Look at verse 4. It says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed. And so he's saying that, that there was a time when, when it was at the mystery that we would think about, something that was hidden, something that was concealed, something that was veiled. And he's saying that within the Old Testament period, there was, there was a mystery. And that doesn't mean that, that it was completely unknown that God was going to offer hope to the Gentiles. You see that all the way in the promise to Abraham, that through Abraham, the nations would be blessed. And you see that over and over again in the book of Isaiah, especially, that God was going to gather the Gentile nations in the worship of the Lord. Those are passages, actually, that the Apostle Paul was alluding to back in chapter 2. We didn't get into that when we looked at that two weeks ago, but there are many, many allusions to the book of Isaiah in chapter 2. So when Paul says that the, the mystery was essentially hidden, he, he doesn't mean completely from view. But yet that the, the heart of the mystery, there was mystery in it, that what people didn't understand was that God's plan of salvation was to encompass Jew and Gentile on equal footing within the covenant community, that that was still veiled even within the Old Testament prophets. And so when you, when you think of that in the early church, remember we said that when, when after Jesus ascended into heaven, all of the disciples thought that Christianity was for the Jews initially. And it wasn't until Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 11 that people finally started to wake up to the fact of, wait a second, when Jesus told us to go into every tribe, tongue, and nation, when he told us to go out and preach the gospel, he actually meant it, <laughs> that this was actually the, the ingathering of the Gentiles, as prophesied by Isaiah, and they, they started to understand the mystery. But it was made known progressively over time. And I think that progressive nature of revelation over time is actually helpful for us in practical ways. One, it helps us read our Bible better, that we understand, we look for how truth unfolds over time within the pages of Scripture. But I think that it also helps us understand how God works. What's the pattern of God's work? And he's a God that, that works over time in process quite often. That God could have created the world in one moment, but instead he created over six days and rested on the seventh day. He didn't need to do that, but he chose to use a, a process. Or he could have, right after Adam and Eve sinned, immediately sent Christ to die on a cross to atone for sin. But instead, he began this process of development, of unfolding this mystery 
of the gospel, all the way from seed form in Genesis chapter 3 to this full picture of it in the book of Revelation. And if that's how God works in history, in creation and redemption, if you think about it, then that's how he works in your life as well. He could call you to himself and then sanctify you completely in one day so you become a perfect person. And we say, Lord, please, (laughs) if only. But that's not how he he works. he, He calls us to himself. We put our trust in Jesus. And then he begins this process, progressive sanctification, conforming us more to the image of Christ. And so that means that in our lives that we need to understand how God works and have have patience to trust the purposes and the plans of God, even though there is mystery in how God works in the world, that, that he is working within us. And even though we would want him often to do it all at once or to make everything clear and make everything known all at once or to, to, to work in us completely in one day, we continue to trust that, that he knows what he's doing, even if it's progressively over time. So we're still under the question, how is the mystery made known? We said by revelation progressively over time. But then as we look at our text, we see something else about this revelation. It was the mystery was made known progressively over time. But notice that it was also made known to the apostles and prophets. So look in your Bible at verse again. He says that when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. Now, Jonathan looked at that phrase, apostles and prophets, last week. But it's important to recognize that he's not describing Old Testament prophets and New Testament apostles. Because he's saying that, that it was it was formerly veiled, but now he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And that's what you see actually in the New Testament, that in the apostolic period, before they had a New Testament written, they had the Old Testament. But when they gathered together for worship, they, if you don't have the New Testament scriptures, God needed a way to deliver his special revelation of the gospel to the people. And so in in his providence, he gave them apostles, these authoritative witnesses who were to proclaim the gospel. But then he also gave them prophets. And and you'll sometimes see prophets in the early church. You think of 1 Corinthians, it talks about instructions for how prophecy was to take place in the local assembly of the body. Or in in chapter 4, even of Ephesians, he talks about the church being gifted prophets. Or back in chapter 2, remember that he says that we are a household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And I heard one pastor say, I don't know how many foundations your house has, but mine only has one. Um, And I think that that's significant because we shouldn't expect a new foundation for the church to be laid in every generation. That's why if anyone says, I'm an apostle, it's not true. That 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 was unique 
to the apostolic period because we don't have layers of foundations. We have one foundation of the apostles. Similar for a prophet, that if somebody says, I'm a prophet, we know it's not true, that there are no prophets and apostles now in the way that there was in the early church. And the reason for that is because God was laying the foundation upon which the church would sit, the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Then what we have in the New Testament is the complete sufficient witness of the apostles and prophets to the mystery of the gospel that has been made known. So that's that phrase, apostles and prophets. But getting back to our text, Paul says that the, it was made known to, the mystery was made known to the apostles and prophets. And that's significant because it's, it's saying that, that the, the mystery is not something that wise men deduced from their study of the natural world. This is not the, the, the wise men looking at the stars and then knowing how to get to Bethlehem by the, the study of the heavens. This isn't something that you could deduce from reason alone. And in that sense, it was a mystery, that it, it was something that could only come through divine supernatural revelation. And it came to the apostles, not from the apostles. That this wasn't a message that was invented by the apostles and prophets. It came to the apostles and prophets and then was delivered to us as, as good news and hope for the Gentiles. And that means that ultimately we want to know the revelation. If we want to know the hope that we have, we go to the scriptures. We, we go to the word of God. Remember we said it was, it was made known progressively to the apostles and prophets. But then look again at verse 5, that it has now been made known to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. That the ultimate source of this revelation is the Spirit of God. That he was working. That we believe that the Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit. That it is breathed out by God as the witness of the apostles and the prophets. And therefore, we receive it as what it is, the word of God. And notice, I, I try to point these little Trinitarian hints whenever we see it, in the, because Paul does this over and over again. But notice, <coughs> pardon me, notice the Trinity in this text. It's the mystery of Christ. It's being made known by God, and it's by the Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit brought to bear in our lives. So again, we said that the, that's the mystery, we, the mystery of Christ. We say, how is it made known progressively to the apostles and prophets? By the Spirit. But now we come to that third and final question. And it's why was the mystery made known? And that's where Paul's going. In verse 14 in our text as he gets to this great prayer at the end. But I think that for today, we can say that the mystery was made known so that we can have hope. That if, if the mystery was still hidden, if the mystery was still veiled, we wouldn't know the gospel, we wouldn't know the hope of salvation, especially as predominantly Gentile church, we would have 
no hope. We would be without God, without hope in the world. But now because the mystery has been made known, we can know what Paul talks about in his prayers starting in verse 14, that we can know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we can know the, the, the plan and the purpose of God, that we can be filled with all the fullness of God, that we, we can be brought into relationship with him. And that's where we, we go back to the opening analogy, are hidden mysteries better than revealed mysteries? Well, hidden mysteries are not better if, if it leaves us hopeless and Christless and godless. But it, when the mystery brings us an offer of salvation that we receive by faith in Christ, then praise the Lord that it's been made known to us by the Spirit. So that's the first thing, is that we, it's so that we can have hope. But it was also made known so that we can offer hope to others. And notice that's what Paul says down in verse 8. He says that to me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. And so that was part of Paul's unique calling as an apostle, as laying the foundation of the church to proclaim the unsearchable riches to bring to light the mystery, the mystery for everyone. Jew and Gentile. But in a sense, even as ordinary Christians, 2,000 years after the apostles, that's our calling as well. The mystery has been made known. But then our call is to proclaim that mystery to our friends, our, our family members, those around us, to show the unsearchable riches of Christ. There's still mystery. It's unsearchable, but yet it's a mystery that has been revealed. The plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, who created all things, to offer hope to the world around us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this mystery. We, we thank you that it is no longer veiled, it's no longer hidden, but that it has been made known. And we, we thank you for the way that you've done that progressively over time to the apostles and prophets that we have in the inscripturated word of God. And we thank you for the, the fact that we receive it not ultimately from men, but by your spirit. And so, Father, we pray that today, as, as Gentile nations, that we can know the hope of Christ, that we can know that we have been, we are now fellow heirs, that we are members of the same body, that we are partakers of the promise. And it's all in Christ, it's through the gospel that is the power of God for salvation. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to greater, have a greater appreciation for the mystery, greater love for the mystery, and that as we see that hope of the mystery brought to bear in our hearts, that we would also proclaim it to those around us, showing how we can be brought into relationship with you and have the hope of eternal life in Christ. So, Father, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.